Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Pajama Game. Hey, buddy, this ain't Popsy. I know a dark, secluded place. A place where no one knows your face. A glass of wine, a fast embrace. It's called Hernando's Hideaway. Uncle Max and everyone you know. When you go to the spot that I am thinking of, you will be free to gaze at me and talk of love. Three times and whisper low that you and I were sent by Joe. Then strike a match. And you will know you're in Hernando's Hideaway Ooh-lay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Golden Finger Bowl is an incredibly evocative name for a nightclub. Uh, The Golden Finger Bowl, it's giving staff infection. (laughs) And I'm sorry, Hernando's Hideaway is a place where no one knows your face? That is categorically untrue. Everyone knows everybody there. It's practically a moose lodge meeting. Okay, so that last observation was edging admittedly into CinemaSins territory, but look, Look at me getting ahead of myself. Oh, we need to do this right. How are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I recently returned to Chicago, the Windy City, for work purposes, and in the process I was able to spend a fabulous evening with Patty, Benny, their respective partners, and Patty's beautiful baby. Oh, the baby. I missed the baby so much. Oh, photos are great and all, but ah, to see the baby in person, it was, it was revitalized is what it was. That's how I would describe that evening. It's very difficult because I want to be with you all of the time. I wish that I was in the stage left studio again. There's something magical about that room. And here's the thing about that room. You don't have to deal with Minneapolis train noises all the time and crazy loud motorcycles. Ah, come on already. (laughs) We're trying to record a podcast here. Uh, Doesn't anyone understand that? Uh, Listener Katya, I don't actually know if Katya listens to the show, but I know Katya follows us on Twitter, at MusicalManPod. Oh, Katya took me to school, is what they did. So I saw this Vulture article about the upcoming Tony Awards Uh, ceremony. And they were talking, the writer was mentioning how there should be a best playwriting category at the Tony Awards. And I had this immediate snarky reaction. I thought to myself, 
What is this person talking about? Best playwright? There's no need for that. That's what we have best play for. And I, I shot off, I shot my mouth off via Twitter, and I, I sent off these very snarky tweets, and Katya pointed out something very obvious, and if I had just... It wasn't obvious to me. If I had just taken five seconds, the, the scales would have fallen from my eyes and I would have realized there is, of course, a distinction between best musical and best book of a musical. So best musical, of course, is supposed to be this, you know, best production overall category and best book of a musical is a, is a specific distinction. We're talking about the script of the musical, right? The best script of a musical. So why, why do we have best play but not best play right? Or best play script? So if I have any advice for our listeners this week, it's take a moment to reread something that elicits a reaction in you. If you feel like you have a negative reaction, just make sure that you have all of the information, that you've you've considered it from all of the angles. Don't be a fool on Twitter. You know, get your ducks in a woe. In a woe. <laughs> quack, quack. Okay, so it is time to... <laughs> <laughs> share the show facts regarding this week's subject, the pajama game. I hope you're ready because they're coming at you. They're coming for you. Oh, show me the show facts. Okay, let's do it. The Pajama Game was the 1955 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on May 13th, 1954 at the St. James Theater before transferring to the Schubert Theater in November of 1956. The show ran for 1,063 performances. Wow! Making it the 112th longest-running production in Broadway history. Former subject of the podcast, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, is currently sitting at 111 with 1,065 performances, while Shenandoah is number 112 with 1,050 performances. The book of the Pajama Game was written by George Abbott and Richard Bissell. The basis of that book is the 1953 novel Seven and a Half Cents by Richard Bissell. Hello, Richard, again. Music and lyrics, Richard Adler and Jerry Ross in uncredited Frank Lesser. Guys and dolls, how to succeed in business without really trying. He wrote, There Once Was a Man and A New Town is a Blue Town. He wrote two songs for the pajama game, but he went uncredited. Can you believe it? Adler and Ross would go on to write Damn Yankees, which premiered on Broadway nearly one year after today's subject. And we can only assume their partnership would have continued for years if Ross had not died at the age of 29 as a result of leukemia. And I always find it hard to relay that information because it is so obviously tragic. I mean, never mind the musicals we never got. Imagine how devastating it must have been for those who knew Jerry Ross and had to watch him die at such a young age. Hashtag bummer. Sometimes the only way I know how to process that information is by making a little joke. A very little joke, like hashtag bummer. Very small. The directors of the pajama game, George Abbott and Jerome Robbins. Musical director, Hal Hastings. Orchestrations, Don Walker. Choreographer, ah, we know this fella, Bob Fosse, Bobby Hello. Scenic design, Lemuel Ayers. Lighting design, here's something very strange. No lighting design credit on the IBDB page for the pajama game. That doesn't make any sense. What are you telling me, there were no lights? Huh? Sound design, N.A., I understand that. This is an old show, so they wouldn't have had a sound designer necessarily. Costume design, Lemuel Ayers. And the original Broadway cast, well, let me let me do that name again. Lemuel, uh, Lemuel Ayers? Yes, uh, let's go with that. As, as always, I do try to approach these names in good faith. I do my best to pronounce them as accurately as possible, but mistakes are inevitably made. Original Broadway cast, Eddie Foy Jr., Janice Page, John Raitt, Marion Colby, Ralph Dunn, Peter 
Gennaro, Carol Haney. Now let's let's pause here for a second because Carol Haney's understudy was none other than Shirley MacLaine. Oh my God, she was 20 years old. Some producer or Hollywood bigwig, they saw her in this show and that's how she got her big Hollywood break. Buzz Miller is also in this cast as well as Thelma Pelish, Stanley Prager, Rita Shaw. Rita Shaw, you might know as Mrs. Brill, the cook from Mary Poppins. She's also in the movie version of The Pajama Game. Jack Waldron, you're also in this cast. Rudy Adamo, Ray Allen, Carmen Alvarez, Ralph Chambers, William David, Sarah Dillon, Bob Dixon, Jack Drummond, Robert Evans, Ralph Farnworth, John Ford, not the director, I assume. <laughs> I assume. Marilyn Gennaro, Jim Hutchison, Lida Lowering, Eric Kristen, Mara Londi, Shirley McLean. There she is. She's right there. Okay, so obviously she was also in the ensemble or some such. Virginia Martin, Dale Morita, Marsha Reynolds, Mary Roche, Augustin Rodriguez, Mary Stanton, Ben Vargas, Ann Wallace, Gordon Woodburn. My God, they don't make musical companies that big anymore, do they? Tony Nods. Okay, so the Pajama Game won Best Musical. We've established that, but also Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Carol Haney, and Best Choreography, Bob Bobby Hossey. So that's three awards, but an unknown number of nominations, because remember, if you recall, the Pajama Game ran at a time when nominations were not announced to the public. That was kept private, close to the chest. The uh, That policy changed in 1956, one year after today's subject took home Best Musical. Damn Yankees came along and broke the damn mold. That's when all oh, the people were demanding, show us the list. We want to see the lists. And they did. Oh my goodness. The plot, let's talk about the plot. Welcome to the Sleep Tight Pajama Factory. Ah, hello. Located, what was that voice? Hello. <laughs> Yeah, located in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the factory is overseen by Sleep Tight's president, Myron Hassler. Mr. Hassler is, like any good disciple of mass production, determined to pump out PJs as quickly as humanly fucking possible, which has made life miserable for those on the factory floor. Thankfully, Sleep Tight has a union. A plucky fellow named Prez is the leader of the union, while a gal named Babe is the head of the union grievance committee. Together, they're fighting to obtain a seven and a half cent raise from Mr. Hassler. But so far, the negotiations have been tense and slow moving. Enter Sid Sorokin, the latest in a long line of factory superintendents. Mr. Hassler wants Sid to keep everyone in line so that output and profits remain steady, but this stratagem goes screwy when Sid falls in love with Babe. Does Babe love Sid? Oh, oh you bet your bottom stinky dollar, <laughs> though she, des she denies it at first is what she does. After all, Sid represents the cold and calculating hand of management, and she's in the middle of a labor dispute, my god, ye gods. Meanwhile, sleep-tight efficiency expert Vernon Heinze, Heinz, finds himself in a similarly romantic entanglement with Mr. Hassler's secretary, Gladys Hotchkiss. Heinze loves Gladys, and she loves him, but Heinze is a miserably jealous runt. He lives in constant fear that Gladys will leave him for another man. How does Heinze deal with these unhappy feelings? By drinking? 
and throwing knives at innocent bystanders. I'm not kidding. That is very much Heinze's brand. Sid's secretary Mabel does her best to cure Heinze of his manic tendencies, and the results are negligible. But wait, there's even more love struck shenanigans for those in the market. Prez, the leader of the union, as a reminder, wants to hook up with Gladys. She rejects him, of course, because she loves the knife-wielding Heinze, and so Prez decides to focus on the lovely May, who should not be confused with Mabel. Okay, Mabel is not May. May is not Mabel. May is more than willing to hop into bed with Prez, despite the fact that he is a married man. We don't make much of that, but enough about these glorified sidekicks. Let's get back to our ingenues, shall we? Sid and Babe come to terms with each other, I love you, I love you, at the annual company picnic. Did a boozed-up Heinze nearly kill Babe while demonstrating his knife-throwing skills at said picnic? Yes, but who could worry about that when love is in the air? I suppose I should say that Heinze used to have a knife-throwing act on vaudeville or something. That's why he has the knives. So there you go. Sid and Babe arrive at the factory on Monday morning to discover the union has initiated a work slowdown. If Mr. Hassler ain't gonna fork over that seven and a half cent raise, then these PJs ain't gonna be made officially. We will slowly make them. Babe is delighted. Sid is horrified. He orders the workers to pick up the pace, which inspires Babe to jam the machines in an act of defiance. Left with no other choice, Sid fires Babe. P.S. Heinze objects to the slowdown because he is the resident efficiency expert. It goes against his principles. The workers tell Heinze to shut the fuck up, which is probably hard to do when your efficiency expert is an alcoholic with a large collection of knives at his disposal. Uh, you tell him. You tell him, Jonesy. I got me a wife and two kids. I can't afford a knife to the belly. Act 2. Sid sneaks into a union meeting so he can make amends with Babe, a gambit that falls fails, I should say, in spectacular fashion. No smooches for the man who fired me, you got that? Keep the cold and calculating hand of management on off my ass! The rejection serves as a wake-up call for Sid, who comes to realize the union has been right all along. They deserve a raise, damn it, and he's gonna do everything he can to make that happen. Or maybe he just wants to help the union because he knows it will get him in good, it'll get him in good with Babe, who, I don't know. <laughs> To that end, Sid forms an ingenious plan. Step one, invite Gladys out for a night of drinking and dancing at Hernando's Hideaway. Ole. Step two, convince Gladys to hand over the key to Mr. Hassler's ledger. Step three, go over the ledger and find room for that seven and a half cent raise. Sid and Gladys proceeded to get fucked up at the Hideaway. Ole. Where they are spotted by Babe and Heinze. Babe is heartbroken and Heinze is driven to insanity. I know that earlier I said the key to the ledger. The ledger is a big book. It's a big book. So I don't think there is a key to the book. I think there is a key to a room where the book is. I just felt the need to say that. Sid breaks into Mr. Hassler's office with the key and makes a startling discovery while reviewing the ledger. Mr. Hassler has already baked an additional seven and a half cents into the cost of production. 
In other words, Mr. Oh, this greedy prick, Mr. Hassler, is claiming the PJs now take an extra seven and a half cents to make. And where do you think those pennies are going? Correct, right into Mr. Hassler's pocket. These books have been cooked, I tell ya. Boiled. Roasted. The investigation comes to a halt when Gladys arrives, followed closely by Heinze. He wants to murder her with knives. It's hilarious. Ha ha ha. Sid overcomes Heinze and brings the blotto Neanderthal to his senses, thereby saving Gladys from a violent end. A beleaguered Mr. Hassler throws in the towel, the union gets the raise, hooray, and Babe happily agrees to reunite with Sid. Love is in the air once more. Watch out for knives, everyone. The end. For the purposes of this week's episode, I did not, I did not, read Seven and a Half Cents by Richard Bissell, the novel on which this musical is based. Though I do have a quote from Time Magazine. This was, this is from their review of the novel, quote, an oddly likable piece of Americana, quote. <laughs> what a backhanded compliment. You know, oddly, this is likable. All right, Time Magazine, here's what I did engage with. I did listen to the 1954 original Broadway cast album of The Pajama Game, and I want to just take a moment to say I have never liked the original album art for this show. I have always disliked it. I have it here right in front of me for the purposes of this recording, and I'm going to describe it for you now. So on the left, we have a woman who I have to assume is Babe, and she has on a pair of pajamas, PJs, that have been pulled down. Her shoulders are bare, and we see her cleavage, and she has a downcast, crestfallen, shameful look on her face, as if she is filled with guilt. She's looking down, her eyelids are fully closed, and there are a series of, I want to say there are six here, yes, six disembodied heads. The, the heads of six men, and most of them are sort of just smiling blandly at her in this sort of vaguely horny way. Like, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, a woman in pajamas, and they're, they're pulled down, and we can see her shoulders and her, and her boobies, or at least the, the tippy-top top of her boobies. Oh! But there are two men in this group of six who are not blandly horny. One of them has a mustache, seems very upset with Babe. Oh, how could she wear those pajamas? And her expression seems to belie <laughs> the same sentiment of, oh, yes, I, I'm so sorry that you've caught me in this moment, Mr. Mustache Man. I assume that's Mr. Hassler, maybe. Or maybe Mr. Hassler is the man on the end who has glasses and a pinched expression as if he's been bonked on the head. I, I feel like he's been bonked because there are two bonk stars next to his head, like cartoon stars. Bonk! Two stars next to this old man's head. And he's pinched. He's going, oh... I don't like this at all. I don't like it at all. I think it's weird. I think that there's something creepy going on in this art. It's so, it's so obviously a perfect example, a perfect distillation of the male gaze as a concept. These disembodied Wizard of Oz funny page heads are... <laughs> 
<laughs> are quite literally gazing upon this this distraught woman. Why is she filled with shame? This does not, and it's not in keeping with the spirit of the show at all. It does not evoke what the show is about. It's just so, uh, it's misleading and strange and horny in a way that bothers me. This is bad horny. No, no, no. So we listened, I listened to that album. I listened to the 1955 original London cast album, which stars Joy Nichols as Babe, Edmund Hockridge as Sid, Max Wallace Heinze, and Elizabeth Seal, who would go on to star in Irma La Douce, former subject of the podcast, as Gladys. She plays Gladys. Between the orchestral arrangements and the characterizations, it's clear the London production aimed to recreate the success of its Broadway predecessor, Brick for Brick. And that makes sense, of course. We're only a year out from the show premiering to great acclaim and success in New York City, so why fix what ain't broke? We want to see what they got over there, gov. All right, we'll give it to you. But there are two exceptions to this otherwise faithful reproduction. Production. One, we're putting a greater emphasis on the guitar in certain moments, bringing it to the, you like that guitar? We're bringing it to the front of the mix, like a proud father presenting his son to a mafia boss, weird metaphor. Number two, in the role of Sid, Edmund Hockridge is making far too big a show of his vocal masculinity. Broadway's John Raitt sounds more comfortable in his own skin, powerful yet free and easy. Hawkridge doesn't have time to act because he's too busy putting a rubber stamp on his barrel-chested brick-and-mortar chops. I suggest bringing your chin up from your chest, Edmund. Nobody asked you to dig that deep and bellow this much. It sounds unnatural. We get it. You're playing a manly American man who never fucks men. Bonus tracks. We have a lot of bonus tracks on this London album. An assortment of old-timey songs, including the inimitable Cherry Stones. This has been in my head all week. Cherry stones, cherry stones, cherry stones are on my plate. Ah, DJ, turn it up! I... I also rewatched the 1957 motion picture adaptation of The Pajama Game. I had seen it once before. This was my second viewing. The film retains most of the original Broadway cast, with the exception of Stanley Prager, who played Prez and was replaced by Jack Straw, and Janice Page, who played Babe and was replaced by Doris Day. They wanted a movie star. John Raitt nearly bit the dust when the role of Sid was offered to Frank Sinatra, but old blue eyes made other plans, so John Raitt got to keep his part. Woo! First things first, you can watch the Pajama Game, the movie, on Tubi, but the print looks absolutely abysmal, like someone ran the film stock through sewer water. Alas, I would not recommend it as a visual experience. Doris Day is always welcome in this house. Uh, I just want to make that clear, but her performance in the pajama game is reserved to the point of stiffness to a certain extent, especially when compared to a film like Calamity Jane, where she's having so much fun, she does not seem comfortable around John Raitt. It reminded me of Debbie Reynolds and Bob Fosse in Give a Girl a Break. The connection, the chemistry, is non-existent. I'm looking for it. It's not there. I have never liked Sid Sorokin as a character, and a repeat viewing of the film did nothing to change my mind. Dude's got a comic book, Harry Osborne haircut, and a hulking presence that reads as sinister. Put another way, Sid Sorokin has bitch... <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. Let's try that again. 
Oh, 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 put another way. Oh, I apologize. That is not what I wrote down. Put another way, Sid Sorokin has Butch. Butch Steve Urkel energy. Well, now the joke is just... <laughs> now the joke is in the shadow of my mistake. <laughs> I might as well keep going. You love me, don't you? I'm wearing you down, baby. I'm wearing you down. Got any cheese? So there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry again. With the constantly saying I love you, he says I love you 3,000 times. It sounds so empty and hollow and manipulative and having no idea. He has no idea what Babe wants out of life because he's too concerned with getting his hands on her. Fuck this character. What are you on about, Babe? Let me finger them sweater puffs. Fuck off. And let's be honest, the whole Sid-Babe arc is nothing more than a smudged Xerox of Sky and Sarah's dynamic from Guys and Dolls. They even recreate Sarah and Sky's dialogue. What kind of a doll are ya, anyway? A union doll! Now, I'm paraphrasing, and I know Frank Lesser is lurking in the wings, oh, but come on already! Ah. On the bright side, Gladys does tell Heinze in the movie to cut his throat. She says, go cut your throat, which I find to be hilarious. And then, not too long after, Sid tells Heinze to go drown himself. Amazing. I like it. Random bit of censorship from the small talk number. They changed the lyrics for small talk for the purposes of the movie. What do you think they charge for ham now? Got so a buck ain't worth a damn now. They change ham to fruit. They change damn to hoot. What do you think they charge for fruit now? Got so a buck ain't worth a hoot now. I know that's not how she sings it, but <laughs> that's such a weird, silly little change. Now, I did not engage with the 1957 Australian cast album, which is really more of a highlights recording that can be heard in full via YouTube, but... It sounds more like a demo reel than anything. I mean, where is the orchestra? Why does it sound as if everyone is rehearsing in an abandoned pool hall? So no, I did not listen to all of that. It's very short, I could have, but I didn't. The 1973 Broadway revival, which only ran for 65 performances, did not receive a cast album, so I did not listen to it because it does not exist. You get what I'm saying. So they didn't record this production despite the presence of Hal Linden as Sid, Barbara McNair as Babe, and Cab Calloway as Heinze. Bizarre. So strange. You're telling me Calloway couldn't move units in 73? You might as well record it. Make some money. That's what I would have said in the room at the time. Ah, and then they would have told me to leave the room. I, of course, also listened to the 2006 Broadway Revival cast album, which stars Kelly O'Hara as Babe, Harry Connick Jr. as Sid, Michael McKean as Heinze, and Megan Lawrence as Gladys. There is no way, if I, I'll start by saying this, there is no way the newly revised overture was met with enthusiasm. You had a perfectly good overture right there. Right there, you could have just done that. That overture has strong bones, does it not? Sheesh, Kelly O'Hara. Oh, Kelly O'Hara never flops. The woman is flop-proof. But the 2006 revival of The Pajama Game proved to be nothing more than a warm-up for her acclaimed appearance in South Pacific two years later. I mean, look at the numbers. 129 performances for The Pajama Game revival versus 996 for the 2008 revival of South Pacific. The numbers tell a story, and the story contains a lesson. 
I don't know what the lesson is. Moving on, Harry Connick Jr. only sounds truly at home on this recording when he's allowed to slip into his, you know, his usual brand, his PG-rated Rat Pack persona. Songs like Once a Year Day, which require Harry to ditch the cool kid routine and act a bit silly, only cause him to sound sweaty and strained. <laughs> Can you believe this, folks? Uh, take a picture, it'll last longer. Uh, hey there, ba 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 boo Songs added. Okay, so there were three songs added to this production, the 2006 revival. The first is The Three of Us, Me, Myself, and I. This was written by Richard Adler for Jimmy Durante all the way back in the day, and he used it in his act for years, years and years, but he never made a recording. The song was also featured in the 1968 television musical Olympus 7-000. Is that meant to be read as 7,000? Let's say that it is Olympus 7000, which was produced under the same banner that gave us Stephen Sondheim's Evening Primrose, that banner being ABC Stage 67. Here is the logline for Olympus 7000, per the Internet Movie Database. Quote, A musical about an enchanted football team. A Greek god meddles in the fortunes of a feeble college team and its hapless coach to cure the team of its chronicle fumbleitis. Hmm, oh, a quote, I should say. Hmm, sounds a lot like a certain musical about baseball to me. Also, say Team More, Internet Movie Database. The second song they added for this revival was The World Around Us, which was dropped during the first week of the original Broadway run. They brought it back, they brought it back. And the third song is If You Win, You Lose. And if you want to get technical, this premiered as part of the Pajama Games 1973 revival, the one with Cab Calloway, but uh, the song had a different name back in 73, that being Watch Your Heart. Note, none of these songs made any impression on me whatsoever. Oh, no, I, uh, no, 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 no. I would much rather listen to Cherry Stones than any of these new songs. My apologies, Mr. Adler. Cherry Stones, Cherry Stones, Cherry Stones are on my plate. And then finally, finally, I watched the 2006 Tony Awards performance of There Once Was a Man and Hernando's Hideaway. Ole! Michael McKeon introduces this performance alongside original Broadway cast member Janice Page, which results in this surprisingly, inexplicably awkward exchange. Page, brimming with life, uh, she begins by saying, I'm so happy to be here, I can't stand it. And then there's this too long pause, there's a strange pause, and then Michael McKeon says, you can stand it. It's this weird delivery, as if he kinda doesn't wanna be there. Maybe uh, he seems put off by her somehow. You can stand it. Is that a joke? Is that supposed to be a bit? I'm so happy to be here, I can stand it. You can stand it. Very strange, no laughs. It definitely doesn't get a laugh. All right, anyway. <laughs> It is now time to really talk about the Pajama Game score. We will begin with the opening track, the Pajama Game slash Racing with the Clock. The Pajama Game is the game I'm in and I'm proud to be in the pajama game, I love it, I can hardly wait to wake and get to work at eight, nothing's quite the same as the pajama game. I'm an executive, I'm a time study man, 
I can tell you for seconds how many stitches go into a pair of pajamas. I can time anything. You'll see when we get down to the factory. Let it go. such a weird number. It's such a weird titular number. It's the titular number because I always expect it to be longer and I have to remind myself every single time, no, 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 it's just this. <laughs> it's not a cake. It's a slice of a cake. If anything, it's more like half of a slice of a cake. It's a motif. It's like a theme song for a sitcom. Hello, welcome to the pajama game. We're so glad you're here. Now, I really like racing with the clock. I love the hustle bustle energy of it. And I'll tell you this much. I cannot get over the distilled mania of the following exchange. And you can hear you just you literally just heard this, but I'm going to recreate it for you now. I might as well just get up from my desk and do this for you because I feel like it's going to get loud. And Patty, Benny, I think we're going to just have to adjust this accordingly. Okay, so I'm, I'm a little bit further away from the mic now, and I hope that you can still hear me. I'm sure that you can. But I just want to recreate this at the, at the true volume as it exists in my head. One of the factory workers says, What do you think of the new superintendent? And another woman says, he's cute! <laughs> I know that I probably blew out the mic. And then another woman says, he'll never last! Ha! And another woman sings, he's kinda fresh for a new superintendent. I like a man with spunk. You like a man, period! <laughs> 
It's insane. Okay, I'm coming back. I apologize. Oh, thank you for indulging me. A new town is a blue town. Uh, who do you know and show me what you can do, town? There's no red carpet at your feet. If you're not tough, they'll try to beat you down in a new blue town. The old town, it's not like the old town. You don't take long to find that you're in a cold town. But you know you can lick it, didn't buy a round trip tickets to this cold, cold town Well, nobody asked me to come here and nobody asked me to stay Made up my own mind and I know that I'll find my own way Since that first day when I said hi town They've damn well tried to make me say goodbye, town. But I won't leave until I make it my town. They'll see. This one-horse, two-bit hick of a new town ain't gonna lick me. A new town is a blue town. Oh, why don't you go and fuck yourself? Goodbye, town. Is this song about me and my feelings toward Minneapolis? No, not really. I did think to myself, oh, this is a song about someone moving to a new town and feeling sort of lonely and sort of dealing with the transition in a not necessarily, uh, not necessarily the, the healthiest of ways, maybe getting a little grumpy, but that's all part of moving to a new town, Sid. I don't know what to tell you. You'll figure it out. You'll meet your people, you big baby. You big whining cuss. <laughs> okay, so who can say if this is truly a, a reflection of my experience? I need theater to reflect my immediate experience. What if I was one of those people? That show doesn't reflect my experience, point for point. I hate those people. Now, is this song about Sid feeling lonely in a town better than Lonely Town from On the Town? That I can say with complete confidence. No, it is not. Lonely Town is wonderful, but lonely songs appeal to me in general, so a new town is a blue town. I welcome you into my heart. I welcome you is what I do. Remember when I was screaming earlier? I don't know if that... <laughs> I, I was listening back to it just a second ago just to make sure that we didn't destroy our equipment. I think we're going to be fine. Let's talk about I'm not at all in love. I'm not at all in love, dearie. But I'm not at all in love, not at all in love, not at all.
These lyrics are potato chip crisp. I love the lyrics. <laughs> Not a bit. Not a mite. And how about that gentle spike and dip? We get with, though I'll admit, he's quite a hunk of a guy. Oh, I love the, the spike and the dip. It's like I'm on an artfully constructed carnival ride with these spikes and dips. Uh, would you like to hear the mashup my brain produced all on its own over the last week? The one that pairs I'm not at all in love with There's Room for Everyone from Pete's Dragon. Oh, you would? You want to hear that? I love how you continue to humor me. Here we go. Must be the light from the ceiling shining there in her eyes. Just the way God planned it. Just the way God planned. Oh, lovely. Oh, I'm sweating. This hasn't happened to me in a minute, but I found myself devising choreography for this number. A sort of tomboy ballerina moveset for Babe that would establish the character as a combination will-o'-the-wisp and knockout force of nature. So you've got, you know, the arabesque, the pirouette, the emboite, the one where you're, <clears throat> uh, you know, <laughs> on point and making those teeny tiny steps, do-do-do-do-do, but the delivery of these moves would call to mind martial arts in a way. As Bartok the Bat would say, Babe would give Sid the old ha and a hi and then she would kick him, sir. Talking to me? Love never made a fool of you. Not until now. You used to be too Yeah, I was. Once. Hey there. I hear you. You are the high flying cloud. Though she won't throw a crumb to you. Don't rub it in. You think someday. Town and hey there, I think we can establish that Sid Sorokin has zero friends. I know he knows no one in this new blue town, but 
My God, you can't pick up the phone and call someone back in the old town? Sid Sorokin has no bridges. He cannot go back. He cannot go back. All bridges have been burned. He's talking into his dictaphone, for God's sake. Men will talk into their dictaphones for hundreds of hours before they even think about going to therapy. Ah, I continue to appreciate Sid's loneliness. It's one of the more fascinating qualities of the character, but I admit to zoning out when the dictaphone starts singing back to him. <laughs> Snore. That musical patch is more effective than a bottle of melatonin pills. Brother in Christ, I tell you. Now, Jonathan... You mock Sid Sorokin for talking into his dictaphone, and yet, yeah, and yet, you yourself talk into a microphone. Do you recognize a parallel here? I do not. And if I did, I pretend I do not see it. I am the emoji from that meme. I mean, for God's sake, I have Patty and Benny. I could talk to them whenever I want. Patty, Benny, let's talk. Later. Not now. Let's talk about... Instead, the next song, which I'm not going to spoil in advance. I'm not telling you what it is. You'll hear it right now. There once was a woman who loved a man. He was the one that she took poison for. They say that nobody ever loved as much as she. But me, I love you more. Mm, tell me. tell you how it feels. I only know there once was a woman who loved a man. Loved him enough to cause the Trojan War. They say that nobody ever loved as much as she. But me, I love you more, 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 more. More than a hangman loves his rope. More than a doping loves his dope. More than an engine loves his scalps. More than a yogurt loves his house. More, more. shattered like glass when the 2022 revival of the music man not the musical man i wrote down oh my god no that's not what it's called jonathan it's not called the musical man the musical is called the music man so, I know we all freaked the fuck out. We all went bug nuts when that revival of The Music Man rewrote most of the lyrics for Shapoopy. It's probably the closest the theater community ever came to going full QAnon. But I am not entirely opposed to futzing with some of these songs. I don't think that should be a surprise to anyone. Uh, based on the 140-plus episodes we've already produced, sure, I thought it was silly how the pajama game the movie changed ham to fruit 
for the sake of avoiding a mild curse, but there once was a man should have been re-examined in the lead up to the 2006 Broadway revival. Richard Adler was alive. He was in the mix, making additions and changes as needed, yet somehow no one thought to update the following lyrics. Quote, more than a hangman loves his rope. More than a dope fiend loves his dope. More than an engine loves his scalps. More than a yodeler loves his alps. Quote, but you shouldn't touch the classics, Jonathan. Don't mess with those lyrics we say. First of all, the pajama game is not a classic. It's not. So start processing that now. A chorus line, it is not. A chorus line is a classic. The pajama game is not a classic. Some musicals work in a corner office, and some musicals work in cubicles. That's just the way it is. And second of all, if Richard Adler is already making changes, as we established, he can come up with new rhymes for rope and alps. That's my take, and I am taking it to the grave. I do appreciate the line, my love's meteoric. It's merely historic. I'm not a total grump. Meteoric, what a wonderful word to sing. Meteoric. performed by Gladys, Steam Heat is presented by May for the purposes of the 2006 Broadway revival, the logic being that Gladys would never want to anger Heinze by steaming it up with the boys from the cutting room floor. This is at, this is the opening of Act Two, the union rally is in full swing, and there's a little performance going on for all the union people. Oh, let's get some entertainment in here, and that is what Steam Heat uh, is. That's what Steam Heat is. And I, I, I think that that change makes sense. It makes sense to me. Steam Heat and Who's Got the Pain from Damn Yankees. These two songs from these two shows have nearly identical setups. Let's put on a show for everyone at the Union Rally versus Let's Put on a Show for Everyone at the Pep Rally. But I got... Steam heat can't hold a candle to who's got the pain when they go ugh. I'm sorry, but if I'm going to learn hundreds of intricate Fosse steps, I would rather learn the routine that allows me to say ugh, ugh. <laughs> Speaking of which, Fosse's choreography for who's got the pain is definitely more compelling than his steam heat routine if we're comparing the pajama game, the movie, to damn Yankees, the movie. No contest. 
No contest. A contest shall not be held. No. Okay, so at this point in the episode, I have decided that we could all use more Kelly O'Hara in our diet. Kelly O'Hara! Which is why we are going to listen to the 2006 reprise of Hey There. Let's listen to that. Hey there, you with the stars in your eyes. Love never made a fool of you. You used to be too wise. Hey there, you are not high flying cloud, though you've been acting cold to him. You know. Watch those hands, old girl. Mustn't let them try to caress you. Watch those lips, old girl. If they get too close, they distress you. Watch those sweet words he softly dishes. When you're standing next to him, they sound Watch those eyes, old girl. They have got you down to a science. If he tries, old girl, stand your ground and show your defiance. What to do, where to turn, how to choose. Watch your heart, old girl, if you will. Kelly O'Hara is mother, mama who bore me, that's who she is. So we can expand, let me give this straight, we can expand this reprise for the sake of fleshing out Babe's character, a worthwhile endeavor, it should be said, don't get it twisted, but we're still singing about dope fiends and engines and scalps in 2006. Ha! Huh. Funny how you never hear anyone complain about the revisions that don't involve outdated and offensive material, but once we do eventually get around to that stuff, ho ho ho, brother, watch him come crawling out of the woodwork. Consider this. In the original version of Hernando's Hideaway, we hear, I know, <laughs> I know we're supposed to be talking about Hey There, the reprise, but uh, just focus here for a second. Think about Hernando's hideaway. So in that sequence, we hear a twink calling out for his beard, whose name is Poopsie. We hear the twink say, Poopsie, Poopsie. The twink is in the dark. He cannot find his Poopsie. But the twink does encounter a gruff beast of a man in the dark, and that beast man growls, Hey, pal, this ain't Poopsie. Later, we hear the twink again. Poopsie! Poopsie! But there's no punchline on this go-around. The twink simply stumbles off into the darkness. The 2006 revival made the logical change of having the Beast Man appear on the second go-around. Is anyone screaming about that revision? No. So be quiet. Musicals are not paintings. We are not breaking into the Louvre and taking a machete to the Mona Lisa. Some changes work, others don't. Change is not inherently bad. Let's futz. Why not? We figured it out. They figured it out. They figured it out. We 
they figured it out. With a pencil and a pen, they figured it out. Only 20 years from today. Only 20 years from today. That's 1,040 weeks. Times 40 hours every week. At roughly two and a quarter hours overtime. At time and a half for overtime. Comes to exactly... $3,411.96! Whoa! That's enough for me to be a sultan in the Taj Mahal. In every room a different doll. I'll have myself a buying spree and buy a pajama factory that I can end up having all my hassler work for me. a little bit of seven and a half cents for you. Nibble on that. Nosh on that. I hope these people get another raise in the next 20 years, my God, because I think we all understand the buying power of those pennies ain't gonna be what it is today, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to tell you. Keep up the good fight. Never let the bosses gain a fucking inch. Hey, let's play Smash or Pass 7.5 Cents Edition, okay? I want to talk about all of the stuff they want to buy, and if I want it, I'll say Smash, and if I don't want it, I'll say Pass. An automatic washing machine? Smash. A year's supply of gasoline? Pass. Carpeting for the living room? Pass. A vacuum instead of a blasted broom? Pass. A 40-inch television set? Smash. A trip to France across the seas? Smash. NBC Smash. A motorboat and water skis? Pass. A foreign car? Pass. A charge account at the corner bar? Pass. Get help, babe. Get help. A Scrabble board with letters made of gold? Pass. A sultan in the Taj Mahal? Pass. What are we talking about? In every room, a different doll pass. I love sucking dick. It's getting weird. Stop it. A shopping spree. Smash. Smash. A pajama factory. Now, pass. Uh, having Mr. Hassler work for me now. <laughs> That's a smash. Fuck that guy. I'm going to make him do terrible things. Terrible things. All right. That's all I have to say regarding the score. Four, five, no, the pajama game. <laughs> it is now time to hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. <laughs> Berries. Oh, hello, dearies. Hello, hello. It's me, Carol Channing, and I'm here to relay oh, a fascinating adventure that I just went on. Oh, it was so delightful. It was so delightful. I was asked out on a date by Mr. H.G. Wells. Oh, H.G. Wells, he's such a spry and handsome young man. And he took me into his time machine. And I said, where are we going? And he said, we're going to the far distant future, Carol. And I went, oh, Raspberries, you're out of your mind. 
mind. This is a horseless carriage. How could it possibly take us to the far future? And then suddenly, oh, there were colors all around me. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that he was serious. I found myself in the future having a delicious meal of Eloy stew. Oh, Eloy stew. They were served to us by the Morlocks. Very tall, very handsome. Oh, H.G. Wells, he got very jealous. He said, let's finish our Eloy stew. And if our five, oh, our five, six, seven, eight coffee. How could I have forgotten that part of the story? Oh, dearies, oh, dearies, oh, dearies. I have to say to you, five, six, seven, eight coffee tastes even better in the distant future. Thousands of years from now, the coffee is somehow going to be even richer. Somehow even more invigorating. Even more, oh, stimulating. Oh, I was getting really worked up. And H.G. Wells, he took me into his time machine. He brought me back to the present and he said, Oh, why don't we, why don't you give me a little kiss? And I said to him, Kissing tomorrow and kissing yesterday, but never kissing today. And he said, But Carol, really? We can go to yesterday now. We can go to tomorrow now. And I said, That's not the point, darling. My personal philosophy cannot be manipulated by the manipulation of time. Oh, he was very upset with me, but here come crawling back. They always do. <laughs> you can count on five, six, seven, eight coffee to give you the perk that you need today, yesterday, tomorrow, whenever. And you can count on me because uh, if there's one thing Kara likes, it's uh, Morlocks. That's what. That's part of my brand now. I like Morlock men. That's what I want. I'm going to steal that time machine and I'm going to nab me a Morlock husband. Oh, <laughs> ah, she's coming for you, Morlocks. She's coming. Oh, watch out. Final thoughts regarding the pajama game. Uh, a concert presentation uh, of the pajama game. Uh, score. <laughs> enough, enough of that. <laughs> a concert presentation of the score sounds much more entertaining to me than a full production. Who needs the book? Who needs the story? No one. Give me the songs and the Fosse choreography and I will be more than satisfied. Never dismiss the appeal and impact of a concert staging. Dismiss. This is what I say to you. Dismiss a book that is only ostensibly about the power of labor and more about a bunch of lovesick squares no one could possibly care about. I did ask myself, I did, I did ask myself if nostalgia for guys and dolls made it more difficult to let the pajama game into my heart. If I had done the pajama game in middle school and college, would it have turned into a source of comforting nostalgia? And I have to say, no, I don't think so. The pajama game is unfunny and repetitive and overlong, and I'm pretty sure I would have recognized that even as an eighth grader at College View Middle School. That kid was smart. He still is, frankly. Now, in 1955, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was, huh? Yes, the pajama game, of course. And the additional nominees, well, again, the list of shows that were in contention that year was never made available to the public. But we do know what premiered that season. How about Ankles Away, which ran for 176 performances, music by Sammy Fain, lyrics by Dan Shapiro, book by Guy Bolton and Eddie Davis. How about that one? How about The Boyfriend? Two words, The Boyfriend. 485 performances, book, music, and lyrics, all by Sandy Wilson. 
Prior to opening on Broadway, The Boyfriend opened on the West End and logged an astounding 2,078 performances, making it the third longest-running musical in the nation's history behind Oklahoma and a show called Chu Chin Chow. I'm sure that show was so, so sympathetic, so sensitive. All of these shows were ultimately surpassed by Salad Days, which logged 2,283 performances on the West End. The Boyfriend is another show that would benefit highly from a concert presentation. Again, I ask, who is clamoring for book scenes from The Boyfriend? No one. Here's another show for you. Plain and Fancy, 461 performances, music by Albert Haig, lyrics by Arnold B. Horwitt, and book by Joseph Stein and Will Glickman. A bit of Plain and Fancy trivia for you, the only bit that I have for you. It was one of the earliest depictions of the Amish community in pop culture. There was a barn-raising sequence in that show. Silk Stockings is another musical from this season. 478 performances, music and lyrics by Cole Porter, book by George S. Kaufman, Louine McGrath, and Abe Burroughs. The basis for this show is the Milkior Langul story, Ninochka, as well as the Ernst Lubitsch film adaptation, which is much more famous, I assume, than the original story. How about Fanny? That ran for 888 performances, an amazing run. Music and lyrics by Harold Rome. Book by S.N. Behrman and Joshua Logan. This was based on a trilogy of plays by Marcel Pagnol, the first being Marius from 1929, the second, Fanny from 1931, and the third, Caesar from 1936. And then I have one more show for you, House of Flowers, 165 performances, music by Harold Arlen, lyrics by Harold Arlen and Truman Capote, and a book by Truman Capote. The basis, well, none other than Truman Capote's 1950 short story of the same name. This was the first production outside of the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago to feature the hot new Caribbean instrument known as the Steel Pan. Ah, please note this list of shows may or may not be complete. I have found it very difficult to confirm what shows from a given season would have been Tony eligible. It makes me anxious to know I could very well be overlooking something, so if I am, please forgive me, lo siento, papi. Did the pajama game deserve to win out over all of these other musicals? I mean, I suppose. I suppose the pajama game can keep its medallion. I, I should dig into these other shows. I know I have plain and fancy in my collection. I have The Boyfriend, certainly. The Boyfriend seems like it's the only real competition for the pajama game. It's certainly the most famous out of that whole run, right? Inconclusive. I don't know. The pajama game, you can keep your medallion, but it's a shaky grip. You got a shaky grip. Let's rank the pajama game against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to check out this ranking, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, access our link tree. You'll find our spreadsheet, and on the second tab of that spreadsheet is this ranking. We're going to put the pajama game at number 77, between City of Angels at 76, and Ragtime at 78, baby. That's where you're going, the pajama game. Show-related ephemera. Now, I would play the clip of Georgia Engel singing Steam Heat on the Mary Tyler Moore show, but we already burned that off as part of our coverage of the Drowsy Chaperone, so we're not going to do that again, but do not fear. I have other covers of Steam Heat prepped and ready to go. The first being from Season 1, Episode 12 of the Judy Garland Show, which first aired December 22nd, 1963. This version of Steam Heat is performed by a young, oh, a spry Liza Minnelli and Tracy Everett. Let's hear that.
I got steam heat. I got steam heat. I got steam heat. But I need your love to keep away the cold. I got steam heat. I got steam heat. I got steam heat. But I can't get warm without your hand to hold. The radiator's hissing, still I need your kissing to keep me from freezing each night. I got a hot water bottle, but nothing I got will take the place of you holding me tight. I got steam heat, I got steam heat, I got steam heat, but I need your love to keep away the cold. And I have a second version of Steam Heat for you here. This is performed by the Pointer Sisters on an episode of Music All In, which aired on April 12th, 1974. The Pointer Sisters, take it away. And my final piece of ephemera is not another cover of Steam Heat, no. This is track 16, The Pajama Game, from Forbidden Broadway Goes to Rehab. brother 
said it loud and clear. I got rave after rave this year. Let's replay what I taped and hear about another. Harry. Who, me? You with the big swollen head. Hey, wait a minute. I saw you act on Will and Grace. Wasn't that great? You mocked your ugly face. What's wrong with my ugly face? Take my advice. Get off the stage, my brother. You're an odd leading man, I hear. Empty-headed a bit, I fear. You can pour water in one ear. Jr. sucks and is also ugly is not what I would call the subtlest of satire. Uh, Say, what happened to the Forbidden Broadway franchise anyway? They haven't released an album since Forbidden Broadway The Next Generation in 2020. Did, I don't know, did someone get cancelled? Was the person who got cancelled the linchpin of the entire organization? One wonders, and if something tragic happened, please know I was not aware of it. Please do not cancel me. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Whole H1N1. Uh, I should say the title, Whole, is spelled W-H-O-L-E, and then we have a space, and then we have all caps H1N1. So again, the title is Whole H1N1. Do you get it? Okay, everyone ready? Then away we go! subject of the main feed is a 1990 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Get ready, 90s babies! We're going to your decade! It ran for 252 performances, and the name of the show is Meet Me in St. Louis, Meet Me in St. Louis by the Fair. No. (laughs) Meet Me in St. Louis, in St. Louis by the Fair. I don't know how it goes. I have to watch that movie again. I really love the movie. I'm not familiar with the stage version of it. Now, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you, yes you, can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We don't keep any of that money. It all goes to the Action Fund. You can donate one, three, five, or $10 a month. What do you get in the $1 a month tier? You get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone else will have to wait until Wednesday. You'll be listening on Monday Fresh! First thing Monday morning. Oh, $1 a month patrons also get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you for donating at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Yes, we have 19 bonus episodes available in this $1 a month tier. Oh, what are they about? We talk about the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, a review of Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, a 
original cast album, Co-op, John Mulaney and to the Sacklunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Harlow the Alligator Boy, a review of the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. Within this $1 a month tier, you also get season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and you also get all 16 episodes in a series known as M3, The Movie Musical Man. This series is dedicated to movie musicals. In each episode, we watch a trilogy of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. The movies are tied by themes. Let's move on to the $3 a month tier. In this tier, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. We have a, a series that is ongoing in this $3 a month tier. That is known as TV VIP. It's dedicated to TV shows that are also musicals. Musical TV shows. We've talked about Schmigadoon, Central Park, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and Up Here... And the next episode, which drops June 14th, is Cop Rock. Oh, did anyone watch Cop Rock? I never saw it. I should say that Meet Me in St. Louis, the main feed episode, the main feed release, will that will be June 28th, okay? June 28th. Now, I apologize. I know you're going to have to wait a little bit, but, you know, things are happening. Things are happening in my life. You gotta, you gotta make room for the other things in your life. Oh, so $5 a month. What does that get you? It gets you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get 14 episodes in our Broadway in Chicago review series and volumes one through five of Shout About It. These are collections, compendiums, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shout outs from the first 125 episodes of the show. Oh my God. Finally, $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season one, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a show dedicated to Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. No, no, no. And last but certainly not least, Turn It Off, that's 12 episodes of a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. Ah, my God, become a patron today. Do, uh, do you understand how much beautiful material we have produced via the Patreon feed? It's all there waiting for you. Go, go. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. Please, please, please. Streaming, oh, streaming options, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. Oh, all the way back in the booth in the stage left studio in Chicago. I miss you. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo and thank you, Zach Little, for our fabulous intro and outro music. Ah, ah, ah. You know what that sound means. Yes. Just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long. Farewell. Off Wiedersehen and good night.
stars of the revival of the pajama game, Michael McKeon, along with the star of the original production, Janice Page. I'm so happy to be here, I can't stand it. But you can stand it. <laughs> Cherry stones, cherry stones, cherry stones 